0: You're listening to a podcast by Change My Relationship featuring licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Carla Downing. These podcasts are designed to provide you with practical solutions based on biblical truths for all your relationships. Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it.
1: Welcome to another podcast on Change My Relationship. Today I have with me Keith Ramachandran. And he is actually the husband of Aaron Ramachandran, who was on our podcast several weeks ago. And he's now going to tell his story of his struggle with OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder. So welcome, Keith.
2: Thank you, Carla. Thank you for this opportunity.
1: I'm, I'm really believing and hoping that we will help people to be set free in their own lives. So can you just tell us what was your life like before you recognized you had OCD, and in hindsight, do you see signs that there was a problem?
2: Thank you for that question. Yes, in hindsight, I certainly see there was a problem. So I was not formally diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder and depression until 2008, uh, a few months into our marriage, my marriage to Aaron, and I was 28 years old at that time. And when I look back on my life, I certainly see signs of the fact that I struggled with severe OCD and classic OCD all the way up from the age of 10 onwards up until 28. Now, I was born and raised in India, and I grew up in the city of busy city of Mumbai. And mental diagnoses and mental illness are, are subjects that are not even talked about there. They're, it's taboo to talk about them. Uh, They're not even talked about. And I'm I'm suspecting a majority of the population struggles with uh, mental illness, especially Mm -hmm. given the stress levels that people operate there under, and especially children uh, who are under great duress to perform academically. So that was the case with me too. I performed academically and there was a lot of pressure on me from within, from myself primarily, but also from my peers in order to be a part of the rat race and to excel academically and to do well. And so when i look back on my life i know that ever since the age of 10 i have struggled with obsessive compulsive disorder now mind you it manifested only and was isolated and confined only to the area of academics so i was very scholastic in nature i was very meticulous about my schoolwork right from the moment i went to school i would play very pay very close attention to all my teachers take proper notes. notes and then when I came home, that's when the OCD would really manifest itself. I would have tremendous anxiety about once I came home about starting my schoolwork, memorizing my lessons perfectly for the day that were taught to me. Mm-hmm. And I would have to pack my backpack the moment I came into the house for the uh, for my school the next day. And I wouldn't even eat my meals, uh, eat l- lunch or dinner that my mother would have prepared for me. Instead, I would have to sit down and do all my schoolwork properly and thoroughly. And I would take, uh, I would have a lot of anxiety about properly memorizing lessons. So that's how OCD manifested itself. When I take stock of my life, I see that that was definitely there, but it was not diagnosed until 2008, like I said. So prior to being formally diagnosed, it just flew under the radar and I was just a great student. And my parents didn't think too much of it because I grew up in a culture where scholastically excelling is very much encouraged and not doing so was frowned upon, so my parents just thought that I was a great student, but all the while OCD was flying under the radar. And when I came, fast forward a few years, in 2002, when I came to the United States for graduate school work in computer science, I began, OCD began to slowly spread its tentacles and grow into other areas of my life, so I began checking things that I would... Uh, I lived with three other guys and they loved living with me because I would clean up after them. I would clean the kitchen after they made a meal. I would clean up after them. I would even go into their rooms and clean their rooms. I would clean the common living area. So everybody loved living with me, but nobody was suspecting that I had a mental illness all the while. And I did not know that also. It was not until after I met my wife and we got married and then... It, it would take me an exorbitant amount of time in order to do basic things like putting away dishes and cleaning the kitchen after dinner. It would take somebody who didn't struggle with OCD probably a half an hour, 45 minutes. It would take me upwards of four to five hours to do this. And I would not be spending time with my newlywed bride. Instead, I would be checking things in the kitchen, straightening things, uh, counting things, mentally regurgitating about different things. So that's when we she realized that there was something wrong. And she initially, was encouraging me and exhorting me but later on she had to put her foot down because it was, this was affecting not just me but affecting her and her our marriage our new marriage and so she put her foot down and she said keith you have to get help there's something wrong with you and you must seek help uh this is not okay and so that's when i went uh to a psychiatrist and was formally diagnosed with an ocd very very quickly
1: so what do you think triggered that? Because I know with a lot of mental illnesses, like you say, it's there, but there's something that triggers it and then makes it just really kind of explode.
2: I think it was a combination and culmination of multiple things in my life going on uh, at the time of the year 2008. So prior to uh, me meeting Aaron, I had gone through a life change. I was born and raised in a profoundly devout, and very orthodox Hindu household. And my parents radically to this day believe in what they believe. They believe in Hinduism. They're devout Hindus. And so that was the way of life that I was raised in. But all that changed in the year 2003 when for the first time I heard the gospel through a friend uh, in graduate school. And by God's grace, I believed. Now, the odds are against believing the first time. But this was a miracle. I believed the first time. And I was a radical Hindu. Don't get me wrong. I frowned. I frowned down upon other religions. I viewed Christians with uh, hostility. And I thought that anybody who would evangelize was probably out to brainwash somebody or threatening somebody else's way of life. But I was going through a period of serious depression in 2003. Again, that, that was that's one of the other diagnoses that I have that I did mm-hmm. not recognize. And so God used that depression really to till the soil of my heart and to make my heart receptive to receive Jesus when I heard about the good news of him. Dying for my sins and being raised from the dead. So when I heard that for the first time, my heart melted and I believed. Now, when I gave my life to Christ, I knew full well what I was doing. I knew that my parents would not accept this and my coming to Christ would would be viewed with animosity and hostility by them. And what I had done in accepting Christ was blasphemous to them. And so eventually they would end up disowning me a few years later. And so that was extremely traumatic for me. Uh, So combined the trauma of losing my biological family along with being in a foreign country, just having freshly graduated out of graduate school, having a new job, going through the throes of immigration in order to stay in the country, feeling physically threatened if I had to leave the country because my parents had issued death threats to me and they threatened to come and take me back home uh, because of my newfound faith in Christ. And then getting married, uh, moving my wife up to Sacramento, be starting a new job. So all those stressors came together uh, and it was a perfect storm. Any one of those stressors or any one of those life changes is enough, but all of them came together and really heightened the OCD because I felt extremely threatened by all of those things. I I immediately gravitated toward OCD and the the short-term gratification that it offers by way of controlling my environment and controlling the things that I owned in order to get this elusive but fictitious impression of security. So that's what I ran to in order to immediately control my environment and feel a sense of security. And that was what was familiar to me ever since the age of 10. So it was a combination of these different life stressors that really triggered and heightened the OCD.
1: So give our listeners a very clear understanding. What is it like to live with OCD Just explain, first of all, what OCD is and how that works inside you. How does that work with your emotions and your thoughts? What is that struggle that you're feeling? Because it's easy for people who are living with someone with mental illness to be exhausted by it and to so desperately want to change. But with understanding the struggle that you actually go through helps to give compassion.
2: So, obsessive compulsive disorder, according to the DSM, which is a manual that's well recognized in the mental wellness arena, is an anxiety disorder, but it is a heightened sense of anxiety, so OCD can manifest itself in different ways and affect different individuals in different ways. For some, it might be hand washing, they may struggle with contamination issues, and they may be extremely anxious about the fact that their hands are constantly, not just dirty, but contaminated with germs life-threatening germs, and so they have to wash their hands to the points where their hands are bleeding and raw. For somebody else, it might be the fear that they're a pedophile and that they may molest children if they're around children, and so they have to avoid children at all costs. For somebody else who struggles with what is called as religious scrupulosity, it might be the fact that they doubt their salvation or that God hates them and that they're an object of God's wrath, and so they have to constantly be doing things in order to appease God and avoiding things that bring him wrathening For me in particular, how OCD affects me is that I gravitate toward keeping things in perfect order. So extreme symmetry, uh, if something is placed on a table, I need to make sure that it's at the center of the table or in a corner. And then when I put things away, I have to make sure, or I choose to make sure, that they are put away in a perfect way. People who struggle with OCD will always describe that there is this sense of just feeling right. It has to feel right, and that feeling is very elusive and it is very short lived. And you have to repeat something a, a number of times, maybe fifty times or a hundred times, in order to get that feeling right. And until you do that, the anxiety is just going through the roof. It might nobody's holding a gun to your head, but it certainly feels that way. Your heart is palpitating. Sometimes when I'm in the throes of doing compulsions that are related to OCD, I'm sweating profusely. So OCD can be described as a cycle of giving into compulsions and anything that you have to do in the moment in order to appease the anxiety, in order to placate the anxiety. It is what is defined as a compulsion. The compulsion is there because of a disconnect in the brain. It is due to what uh, therapists and psychiatrists describe it as as a serotonin deficiency in the brain. So serotonin is responsible for completing the loops, so to speak, between neurons in the brain and giving you that sense of, okay, that task is done. You can move on, you feel good. But for people who struggle with OCD because of that serotonin deficiency, because of that neurotransmitter being deficient, you don't have that feeling of completeness. And it's almost as if your car is stuck in one gear and you cannot, it doesn't automatically switch gears. And so you have to manually shift the gear in order to complete the loop. And the way you do that is by repeating something compulsively multiple times therapists describe and psychiatrists describe that as giving into the compulsive behavior in order to placate the anxiety in order to appease the anxiety but it is a vicious cycle you Mm -hmm. get the obsession and you do the compulsive behavior in order to appease the anxiety but then the anxiety is appeased for, for a while, for an extremely short period of time, sometimes for a few minutes or sometimes for an hour. But then the anxiety comes back again, and you have to give in to the, obs- the obsession again and do the compulsive behavior again. So it is a vicious cycle. To describe it in another analogous term, it would be like a hamster caught in a wheel, and the hamster has to constantly be churning the wheel in order to keep the wheel going. It's almost as if for me, how I feel is somebody screaming in my head all the while and telling me, you have to do this, you have to do this. Now, my wife and others may tell me, Keith, you ha- there's nothing that you have to do. You have the ability to choose. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. But it certainly doesn't feel that way. From, from my perspective, it feels like I have to do this. Otherwise, my life is on the line. So it almost literally feels like I'm standing on the edge of a cliff and somebody's holding a gun to my head. And I have to either jump or take the bullet to my head. I don't have any other option. And so it is extremely difficult and needless to say, the anxiety is shooting through the roof on a scale of one to 10 for extremely difficult compulsions and obsessions. The anxiety feels like 11. So needless to say, it is extremely heightened and I am sweating, my heart is racing. And unless I do the compulsive behavior, I cannot feel any sense of peace.
1: As I'm listening to you, I have questions formulating. Does the obsession and compulsion exist independent of other stressors in your life or do stressors in your life drive you to the obsessive compulsive thoughts and behavior in order to manage the stressors in your life?
2: I think it's a both end. Stressors definitely drive and heighten the compulsions and the obsessions and the compulsions that I do in order to appease the obsessions, but they also exist independent of life stressors. That is the problem really for people who struggle with OCD. I have to say that obsessive compulsive disorder is a multifaceted problem. It's not just a neurological problem. It's uh, an emotional problem. I would say it is also a spiritual problem. Um, and so it is a combination of multiple things that cause these, the obsessions and the compulsions to exist independently of life stressors. But certainly when life stressors come, they heighten the, the, the obsessions. And so the compulsions are also heightened in order to placate the obsessions. And in order to gain a sense of self-control and control and to manage life stressors. So it's a both end.
1: Yeah. And so what was your journey trying to figure out what medications and treatment worked for you?
2: So it has been a long and arduous journey and it is still ongoing. So I was first put on, like I mentioned previously, I was diagnosed in 2008 And it wasn't until 2010 that I was put on medication. The therapist who diagnosed me initially recommended and strongly exhorted me to to do the classic treatment for OCD, which is exposure and response prevention or ERP. Now what ERP entails is deliberately and willfully exposing yourself to stressors and situations that trigger the anxiety and then not doing the compulsive behavior in order to appease the anxiety, which is extremely hard to do. So Mm -hmm. it is for somebody who struggles with uh, I don't know fear of contamination it is deliberately going and touching a public dumpster even maybe diving into the dumpster and then getting out of the dumpster and then not going and taking a shower and sitting with that anxiety and embracing the fact that you are dirty you are filthy so it is extremely hard to do while the solution is easy it is extremely hard to do so what my therapist recommended I do was it was do ERP but because my case is so extreme, uh, a, a doctor that I saw eventually would put me on medication and she said that that medication will help take the edge off the anxiety and then you can combine it with the ERP in order to do a both end and, and to help you on your journey. So uh, since then I've been put on so many different drugs. I can name them Prozac, uh, Celexa, Zoloft, uh, Paxil. Right now I'm taking Paxil, but it's still a, a tough journey to try to figure out what what combination of dosage and the right medication works for people who struggle with uh, any form of mental illness it's not a uh, one stop and go In that you you go and somebody prescribes a medication for you and that will work for you you have to find the right combination and so that's been the case for me Uh, so it's been a a decade-long journey of trying to figure out the combination of the right medication and doing treatment along with it and even therapists not every therapist is helpful i have finally found somebody who is uh, helpful? Uh, he is hard, he, uh, he pushes me to do what is necessary in order to combat the OCD, but he does that because he wants me to get better.
1: Yeah, you really need a specialist who deals with anxiety disorders when you get into treatment for uh, OCD, like Absolutely. you're dealing with. I mean, you just can't go to any therapist. Right. And most of the medications, I think all of them that you mentioned are actually antidepressants. Yes. So that is the typical treatment for OCD. And that would also help you with your depression. All of those affect your serotonin. As you said, your serotonin was not working right for your neurons in your brain. Uh, So all of those would also help that. But it's not a fix all. It doesn't take it away. And that's where the struggle comes with you having to continue to work on those thoughts and those compulsions. So how did this impact your marriage?
2: needless to say it impacted my marriage very severely uh it it, it impacts our marriage even now on a daily basis uh but things are much better because i'm working on managing my struggle with ocd but to begin with both aaron and i uh were extreme were devastated aaron was devastated that the person that she married who loved her who doted on her who courted her and who would spend time with her and who would talk her ear off now suddenly was isolated and confined to himself and he couldn't look beyond himself and would not spend time with her, but would spend hours on end giving into the obsessions and compulsions. So she was devastated um, and it, it brought a deep wedge between us. And at one point, both Erin and I felt alone, uh, respectively. Mm-hmm. Aaron felt alone because she felt rejected that her husband... Uh, whom, who loved her and whom she loved and who loves her in return, would not spend time with her, refuse to spend time with her. And so she felt alone and rejected in that. And I felt alone battling OCD because this is an extreme case. And I felt alone battling it. And I thought that my wife is just feeling rejected and she feels sad. And she is un, not unwilling, but just unable because of her own grief to deal with me and help me. And so we both felt alone and isolated and it was devastating. And the only reason we are together after almost 13 years of being married and 15 years of knowing each other is because we both independently sought help. Aaron encouraged me and exhorted me to seek help for my own sake, but also for the sake of the marriage. And I sought help because I knew this was this it was not okay to be like this. And I was struggling to function, struggling to hold down a job, struggling to eat, uh, struggling to sleep. At the worst uh, case scenario, when it was at my lowest, I spent about 15 to 17 hours a day giving into the obsessions and compulsions. So needless to say, I was barely existing, and I was not even being a husband to my wife. And so it affected our marriage severely. Um, And the only reason we're together is really because of her faith in Christ, which Mm -hmm. incurred us. And because of that, uh, we sought help for our marriage and because of the specialists and the doctors and the therapists and the people who came alongside us and helped us both individually, but also together as a couple.
1: So how did it feel to know that your wife was impacted that severely? I mean, was that just devastating to you also?
2: It was. it, It tore my heart. I felt devastated that the person that i loved and whom i cherished so much and in all manner of speaking she is my family like i mentioned previously i've lost ties with my biological family so she is my only family so my only family that i have i felt extremely devastated and sad incredibly sad that i was hurting and causing so much grief and angst to the person whom i love so much so it was it like i mentioned it ripped my heart But I felt torn between the OCD and between my wife. On the one hand, I wanted to appease my wife and to be with her. But on the other hand, OCD was rearing its ugly head and almost almost like a mistress, not in the physical sense of the term, but in in a figurative sense. She was almost like this mistress in our marriage, and she was vying for my attention, screaming at me the whole time. And so what do I do? I felt torn between the two.
1: That makes sense, and because you are both deeply hurting, but how can you help her when you can't even help yourself and control your your own struggles? At this point, what would you say to somebody who sees a loved one in their life struggling with any type of mental illness in terms of just how to respond to
2: it? I think it is a difficult situation, and not one response, one size doesn't fit all. I would say begin by having compassion for the person who struggles with mental illness because this is genuinely an illness. Just like somebody who struggles with a physical ailment like cancer or diabetes or somebody who's lost a limb is struggling and they cannot function in the way society would like them to function and deem as normal. So it is the case with somebody who struggles with mental illness. Just because you can't see their struggle uh, and because it is intangible and it is hidden away, and locked up in the mind and the brain, so to speak, doesn't mean that they don't have a, phys- a real illness. And so have compassion on that person. That person is struggling in order to function, in order to get out of themselves and to be able to do the things that other people do very easily. Somebody who struggles with mental illness, has to jump through so many hoops in order to do basic things in order to function. So have compassion on them. But at the same time, this is a walking a tightrope. Do not enable them. Do not give in to them when they ask you to do something that would enable them. So it, Love the person, have compassion on them, but do not enable the mental illness and do not enable the compulsive and obsessive behavior. So it is a fine act and and like I said, it's walking like walking a tightrope of having compassion on them and genuinely helping them, but also not enabling the OCD, not not enabling the disorder, not enabling the addiction, so to speak, whatever it might be.
1: Do the family members need to adjust their expectations?
2: Yes, absolutely. Just like you wouldn't expect somebody who has a physical illness to function and perform normally so it is with mental illness So, a realigning of expectations is necessary because mental illness does definitely affect the person's ability to to function normally in society to hold down a job to be able to relate and emote and have relations with other people so expectations need to be discussed and readjusted and aligned again so and again this might call for grieving the loss there is always a loss when it comes to mental illness just like somebody who has lost a limb in a war has to grieve the loss of the limb because he or she's not able to walk or do something properly so is it it is with mental illness uh, there is a loss both for the person struggling with the mental illness and also for family members because the person cannot function properly. And as they would as others would like them to function so there is a loss, along with the loss of expectations. so that needs to be addressed and grieved. And this whole thing is a process, it cannot be fixed overnight, mm-hmm. it is a journey, and it is extremely hard.
1: I have a family member, a daughter who struggles with severe anxiety, some OCD, but very severe agoraphobia, PTSD, some paranoia at times. And I can tell you just from my own journey that what you said is true. You have to first go through all of the normal grief of the denial, the shock, maybe we can fix it. Maybe it'll go away. Maybe she'll grow out of it. Maybe she'll just get you know stronger and learn some coping skills. And then there's that time where you look at it and you say, oh no, this is a mental illness. This is not just going to go away. This is something that we are going to continue to deal with. She is and I am as her mother. And then that's when the grief and the loss starts coming in. And part of the grief cycle is like coming to terms with the anger and the questions with God, like, why? Like, why are you allowing this? And some Christians sometimes feel that it is a spiritual influence or a demonic influence kind of influence and they'll just say well we're going to pray away the anxiety pray away the obsessions and the compulsions what would you say to somebody about that
2: i think again this subject needs to be approached very sensitively and delicately i personally believe there is certainly a spiritual component to uh, people who struggle with mental illness and disorders but it is not all spiritual Like I mentioned earlier, it is a multifaceted problem. It is psychological, it is physical, emotional relational brought on by life stressors and life situations and also a spiritual thing so yes we live and breathe in a world in a universe where spiritual entities and forces of darkness are real the bible very categorically describes them to be real and we wrestle not against flesh and blood as the apostle paul says but against powers and principalities of darkness and spiritual forces of darkness that are out to get uh, especially believers who are Uh, living uh, for Christ who are out on the front line, so to speak, spiritually. And so, there may be a demonic component, a spiritual component to people struggling with mental illness, but it is not all uh, spiritual, and some things may not be, cannot be spiritually just prayed away. God allows for certain things to remain. The Apostle Paul himself, who was, was a spiritual giant, struggled with a thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't know what kind of thorn it was. There might be some allusion to the fact that it might be poor eyesight or something else like that, but we cannot conclusively arrive at the fact that it was something. But again, if somebody who was as spiritual and strong as the Apostle Paul was allowed to have a thorn in the flesh, how much more ought we as believers ought to embrace trials and sufferings and, and and really accept them as blessings because they draw us closer to God? Now I will speak for myself and say that I am certainly open to healing and I pray certainly for healing and for this for me to be healed and delivered of OCD. But I have come to terms with the fact that this is probably not going to go away and it is my cross to bear. Now I can do things tangibly in the material realm in the the physical realm in order to combat that, in order to combat the OCD and to keep it at bay so that it doesn't consume me, it doesn't consume my marriage, it doesn't completely suck me in and leave me incapacitated. But I have to also come to terms with the fact that God might choose to not heal me. He might allow this to be the case and allow me to struggle with this. Uh, within reason. But I will say this, because of my struggle with OCD, I have come to depend on the Lord Jesus so intimately, like a child depends on his father for sustenance. I look to him for grace and mercy every day, because Mm -hmm. I need it in order to perform, in order to do basic things, in order to just get through the day. There will be some days when I'm struggling to just get out of bed, struggling to take a shower, struggling to get dressed, struggling to get things out of the closet. Uh, Because I have to do, I am choosing to do things so perfectly. And so I have to throw myself at God's grace and mercy and ask for the Holy Spirit to enable me to do these basic things. So I will say that even though this is OCD has wreaked havoc in my life, there have been spiritual blessings that have come as a result of it. It has taught me to depend on my Heavenly Father like a child, and it has drawn me closer to Him. So in my case, it has been, while it has not been easy to live with OCD, there have been spiritual blessings that have come out of this this darkness so
1: are you i know you're still seeing a therapist i know you're still on medication describe to me from like say a typical day when you get up how are you managing it in terms of your thoughts and the way that you're viewing it like what do you do
2: so i have to put a lot of uh, checks and balances in place in some cases really extreme and be militant in order to manage the ocd uh, and it starts right from the get go because not, I struggle not just with OCD, but with depression. So right in the morning when I get up, there are some days when I just feel very depressed and I'm not just talking about feeling blue, uh, depression weighs me down like, uh, a ton of bricks and I may not want to get out of bed. I don't feel like getting out of bed, but I have to force myself to get out of bed, um, and start the day. And sometimes that might just involve getting dressed and going out of the house immediately, uh, because going out and getting sunshine and getting fresh air it helps combat the depression i take medication sometimes uh my therapist would say you take you know decide when you want to take it so sometimes i'll take it at night sometimes i take it in the morning but again i would encourage the listeners to be consistent find a time that help helps you in order to take the medication and stick with that time and then sometimes uh eating something that i enjoy helps in the morning i am a coffee drinker so making myself a cup of coffee or going to just get a cup of coffee with oat milk uh, or a chai latte helps me, helps lighten my mood, helps me, uh, helps put a smile on my face. I just love getting my cup of coffee. Um, And then doing other things that encourage me and energize me, like reading the word or calling a friend or getting out of the house, like I mentioned. uh, And then with regard to other normal things like taking a shower, this might not affect normal people and might not be applicable to normal people, but I tend to take a long shower, sometimes upwards of 45 or 50 minutes or an hour, uh, because again, everything has to just feel right. So my therapist worked with me and said, Keith, no, you have to set a timer. And the, you have to set a timer for 14 minutes. And in the 14 minutes, you have to brush your teeth, shave and shower, do all those things. And once the timer goes off, you have to get out. And I tell you to this day, even to this morning, it was a struggle to get out of the shower, the bathtub when the timer goes off so that I'm not stuck in the shower and I can do other things and I'm not taking a shower that's an hour long and wasting water. So again, I have to be militant and do things and put checks and balances in place in order to combat the OCD in order to make sure that I'm not giving into the compulsions just because the obsessive thoughts are there. Uh, And again, I have to be militant as my therapist says, you are in the, in the early stages of recovery. So you don't have the luxury of not setting a timer when you go into shower. Uh, and sometimes you have to, I have, he would say, skip a shower. If you have to go somewhere and you only have a half an hour, skip a shower, don't take a shower. And so that would produce a, tremendous anxiety because I wanna feel clean, I wanna take the shower. And so skipping the shower would produce tremendous anxiety. But again, as my therapist says, You have to be militant in combating the OCD and take extreme measures. Otherwise, OCD doesn't take a day off. OCD constantly is vying for your attention and is looking for opportunities to bring you down. So since OCD doesn't take a day off, you cannot take a day off.
1: So if you were to choose not to, and I I noticed that you're using the word choose, I choose. If you were to choose not to take a shower, what would happen to you?
2: Nobody's going to pull out a gun and shoot me and say, if you haven't taken a shower, so you're going to die. But then... And in deep inside me, that's not yes. how it feels. The anxiety is heightened. I sometimes, um, this I break out into a sweat. It is, my heart's racing. And then Aaron and I, my wife and I, sometimes will get into a fight because we have to go somewhere. And then I, I only have 10 minutes. And so I'll say, I'm just going to get in there really quick and take a three minute shower. That's not happening. And sometimes I have done that. I have gone into the bathtub and I have been left behind because Aaron says, okay, that's it you violated our agreement you violated a, a contract that we had that if we don't have enough time if you don't have a half an hour or 14 minutes to take a shower you forfeit your right to take a shower but because the ocd is screaming at me i go in the bathtub and then i get left behind Aaron just leaves and then that triggers feelings of abandonment i just feel disgusted i feel alone i feel just high and again very very anxious So, these are some of the consequences of making poor choices. Again, like I mentioned earlier, nobody's holding a gun to my head. Mm. Nothing dramatic or life threatening is going to happen if I don't take a shower. That's what deodorant's for. That's what, um, you know, gel is for, hair gels for other things are for. You just, you know, put on the product and go on with your day. And then you shower the next day, as my therapist would say. But OCD doesn't treat it like that. For OCD, you have to take a shower. In the moment, it's life or death, or that's how OCD portrays it to be.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely not easy. I just want to make sure people listening get just how very, very hard it is. And then the dynamic that you're talking about is you and Aaron have come up with agreements. You have come up with boundaries. You've come up with uh, the together. And how has that helped?
2: It has helped uh, primarily to keep our marriage intact, but also to make sure that When we have an agreement, and I am not living up to the agreement and keeping up my end of the bargain, that Erin has the right to do uh, what she needs to do in that moment in order to keep herself healthy, keep herself sane. Um, and so that she's also not going, I'm not taking her down with me. So like I mentioned, a practical example, if we have to go somewhere, and if I'm choosing to shower at the last minute and stay stuck in the shower, then Erin gets to leave. And I need to drive my own car in order to meet her somewhere. Or I choose to be left behind and struggle with, the, uh, struggle with the obsessions and compulsions by myself. So I can choose to leave with her and forfeit the shower and be temporarily anxious, but the anxiety will lift after a half an hour after I have left the house and spend the day with her and pour into the marriage and have a good time with her, or I choose to get left behind and feel alone and feel miserable. So having a contract, having an agreement helps in order to make sure that we individually are doing what is necessary, but also collectively, we're doing something together as a couple in order to make sure that the marriage is not just surviving, but thriving.
1: Yeah, and that takes work before in terms of working that out, and that often needs the help of a therapist. So I would definitely encourage people that are listening to go to a therapist with their loved one that is suffering with a mental illness. And if you get that help to come up with those plans that boundary that you need to set otherwise it's fighting it's arguing it's yelling it's nagging you come on come on come on let's go let's go let's go like no you don't have to take that shower and then it's just saying well just don't take it and not understanding the struggle that you're going through uh, it seems easy I know one time I went to a outpatient treatment program with my daughter and I was sitting around the table with all different ages of people who were struggling with bipolar disorder and anxiety and all of them, from the men to the women, all talked about how difficult it was to do self-care like showering, and it was just, just sitting there and just recognizing, wow, that basic thing is a really big deal. And it, like you said, describe how the depression plays into this and how that works with the anxiety.
2: So the depression and the OCD go hand in hand. People who struggle with anxiety-based disorders more often than not are likely to struggle with depression because serotonin also affects your mood uh, along with dopamine and other neurotransmitters. So from a behavioral perspective, somebody who struggles with an anxiety-based disorder like OCD does the the compulsive behaviors in order to appease the anxiety and then that placates the anxiety short term or it might even not. And then uh, because they have given into the compulsions, they get depressed. and. Uh, depression might exist independently too. Like I mentioned, sometimes you get up in the morning and you just feel dep- depressed and the depression weighs you down. Or sometimes because you're depressed and you feel out of control, you engage in the obsessive behavior in order to feel in control. So they both go hand in hand. The OCD fuels and feeds the depression and the depression feeds the OCD. And it's, it's really a vicious cycle. And that's why medication is so necessary. Uh, specialists uh, in, in this area will often say, if uh, and often treat people who struggle with OCD with the medication first so that at least the weight of the depression is lifted and they can then do the hard work of doing the exposure response prevention or cognitive behavioral therapy or some other uh, therapy in order to make sure that the depression is not weighing them down like like a ton of bricks and they can actually benefit from doing the ERP or doing the other behavioral therapy.
1: Right now you're managing your OCD successfully. How are you doing with work? What's a reasonable expectation with that?
2: So somebody who struggles with mental illness like OCD will be in and out of jobs, and that's been the case with me. Because of my struggle, and in that moment, like I mentioned previously, choosing to shower over not showering and embracing the anxiety has cost me multiple jobs because I have not been able to show up to work on time. So the most recently uh, time when I had a job was about over a year ago, and unfortunately, I lost that job after four months because... Again they liked me but I was struggling to get there at 7:30 in the morning which was which is early even by normal people standards and so for somebody who struggles with OCD that is extremely heightened and it was a Herculean challenge to me to get out of the house and be there at 7:30 and I wasn't there I was showing up to work late 8 839 and so because of that they fired me after four months. And I have lost previous jobs like that, again, because of my struggle with OCD. Now, it was just this past week that I got a part-time job, uh, and so I will be working again. But the burden falls on me again in order to manage my struggle with OCD to make sure I don't lose this job again. Again, as my wife mentioned to me, Keith, you will your struggle is not getting a job and, and working through an interview. It is really keeping the job. So she has made it abundantly clear. You will keep this job if you shower at night, if you manage your struggle with OCD, and if you show up to work on time. If you don't do those things you will lose this job again so again it is a challenge and uh, it is really hard in order to manage and maintain and keep those checks and balances in place otherwise ocd will just consume and suck everything out of you
1: do you tell your employer that you have ocd
2: yes i do in the past i have discussed this with actually three or four of my employers and they were aware of it but then eventually they decided to let me go because i became a liability so what the the employer has to make a choice at, at some point uh, and again, the American Disability Act, uh, ADA, uh, you can apply for ADA and claim disability, but then again, the burden really falls on the employer and it is up to the employer's discretion because we live and work in a culture in corporate America where it is hire and fire at will. It is really up to the employer to make that decision. And they but are choose- they
1: not allowed to fire you for a disability? Don't they have to make yes, accommodations?
2: Yes, there, there are they again my employer made accommodations so my most recent employer made accommodations and said, "Okay, others have to be here by 7 or 7:30. You can be here by 8." Uh, and again, my therapist did not want to give me very, you know, leniency and in, in multiple accommodations because then he, he said that, okay, if they allow you to come in whenever you want, then the OCD will just drag you down and you will just show up to work at noon or not show up at all. So they worked with my therapist and said, okay, we will make accommodations within reason. And so the reason was I could show up to work a half an hour late. But I was exceeding that accommodation Mm -hmm. that was set and that's why I was fired and let go.
1: Okay, so that makes sense. Would you advise people to tell their employers coming in that they have that struggle or wait until that becomes an issue at work and then disclose it?
2: I would say it is better to disclose it right at the get-go and disclose it to your employer If essentially during the hiring process, they're asking you, do you struggle with a disability, which most employers tend to do now? So I would say answer that that question honestly. It is better to answer that question and put your cards on the table rather than have this come up because more likely than not, this will come up and it will, when it comes up, uh, I don't want this to leave a nasty taste in the mouth of the employer and say that, oh, well, the person that we hired hit something from us. Again, they're legally bound by ADA to work with the employee that they just hired and work with them and provide accommodations. But I would say it is better to disclose this up front and answer the question about disability, honestly.
1: So how do you see God using this in your life as a ministry with your wife? She and you have this organization, Mental Health Strong.
2: So Mental Health Strong was something that has been born out of uh, 13 years of pain and struggle in her marriage. And it was really Aaron's idea to write the book Mental Health Strong and then to create this nonprofit as well uh, in order to really provide hope and assurance to couples, to married couples, but also people who are in relationships out there who struggle where one or both partners struggle with a mental health or an addiction challenge. And when Aaron was struggling, when we were down in our worst situation back in 2010, and we were both in our respective pits and struggling to keep the marriage together. And Aaron burned out and I burnt out. And we were on the road to recovery from that burnout. It was really God taught, speaking to Aaron and tugging on her heart to say that, don't waste your hurt, don't waste this. And Aaron said that, really, I want to. And when Aaron was looking for resources, really, what is out there in terms of something that she could leverage and I could leverage, and we could leverage together as a couple in order to help our marriage? Unfortunately, there was nothing that was available out there. No resource was written or there were no podcasts, so to speak, for topics on how to deal with mental health and addiction challenges in a marriage. So Erin decided to take matters in her own hands. And she said, well, I'm going to create a resource and help others so that when there's somebody else struggling like we do, uh, they can use and leverage and learn from our struggles. I don't want to let our struggles and our hearts go to waste and that was really prompted her what prompted her to write the book and it was a labor of love it took her over five years to write the book and it is really a chronicle of all the things that we have tried as a couple over the 13 years of being married together and what has worked what has not worked Uh, the names of different resources the help that we sought from therapists from friends uh, the spiritual resources that we leveraged And it really takes a village to come alongside somebody like Aaron and I, who has has struggled so much and help us and help keep our marriage intact. So it's a combination of physical resources, spiritual resources, psychological resources, medication, and other things that have been chronicled and put together in this book, Mental Health Strong, and that has been published now. And it's available for download on Amazon or for purchase from Amazon. And it's really uh, a combination of all these things that have worked for us. And Aaron has published this book really as an effort to say marriage, especially marriage marriages like ours don't have to end in divorce. There is hope mm-hmm. and there is help and you can get help and there is recovery is possible if you're willing to make yourself vulnerable and seek the help that you need.
1: Yeah, you have a group, I think it's on the, is it Tuesday night? Is it the first Tuesday?
2: It is the first Tuesday night of every month that Aaron hosts and it is a support group for spouses of people who struggle with mental health or an addiction challenge. So anybody's, any spouse of a person who struggles with a challenge is welcome to join that group. And again, the details are on our website. Mm -hmm. which is www.mentalhealthstrong.com.
1: Yeah, the book is fabulous. I, you know, teach classes in this and you and Erin have both been to my classes. And so I told Erin, I was really busy. And I thought, I'm just going to skim through the book. And I told her I couldn't, I have to read every word because her story was so compelling. And she brought me right there with it. And then the way that she describes using the principles to maintain her own individuality, her own self, her own life to not become consumed by your mental illness, but yet, to have compassion and partner with you and still one of the struggles is to maintain the marriage and not yeah. have it be a caretaker patient kind of role because you right. don't the wife can't be seeing her husband as a child to take care of but yet there are some elements of that in the marriage that have to be balanced and yet you have to maintain this husband and wife relationship and if you don't like you said you'll lose the marriage so the Absolutely. book is fabulous I'm telling you and it talking about resource pages After page after page after page of resources that are available for people who are struggling with this. So, what would you say now to listeners who have a family member with OCD or another serious mental illness, just to give them hope?
2: I would say that there is a loss associated with discovering that somebody in your family struggles with a mental illness, just like somebody struggles with a physical illness or has lost a limb. Again, somebody who struggles with mental illness is not going to be able to function the way other people who don't struggle with mental illness do. Doing basic tasks will be a challenge for them. So there is a loss. So I would say come to terms with that loss. Don't be in denial. Acknowledge that loss and then grieve that loss. Go through the grief process. But then you don't have to give up hope. There is hope. There is help available. Just like for somebody who struggles with cancer, there's help, there's chemotherapy, and there's other care resources that are available. Again, in the same way for somebody who struggles with mental health, if there's somebody in your family struggling with a mental health or an addiction challenge, encourage them to get help. They may initially be reluctant, they may be in denial, but be patient with them, love on them, show them the love of Christ. Jesus calls us to love others and to really expect nothing back in return and so show them that sacrificial love, even though that might be hard to do. Encourage them to seek help, seek help yourself. Again, go to our website there. As Carla mentioned, there's so many resources and all those resources have been put on the website as well under the resources page. And then you don't have to leverage the resources we have mentioned. There are so many resources out there for people who struggle with addiction challenges. NAMI is a great resource, National Alliance on Mental Illness, so seek help from there. There are other Christian resources that are available. Seek help from a Christian therapist. Uh, For a while there, I was seeing a Christian therapist because he shared my common faith and he could empathize with me and address this from a spiritual aspect as well. Seek the counsel of a pastor. Seek prayer. Uh, Cover yourself in prayer. Seek help in God's word. Again, so again, I would say approach this in a multifaceted way because a mental health or an addiction challenge is not just a singular issue. It's not a simple issue. It's a complex compound issue. Mm -hmm. And so it has to be addressed in a multifaceted way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and also medically. So seek help from a doctor. You don't have to give up hope. Just because your loved one has a mental health challenge doesn't mean you have to write them off or they have to write themselves off. They can still have a full life. They can have as healthy of a life as possible by managing the condition.
1: Christian counselors are really good, like you said, for working with you on the Christian issues that you're struggling with, but it doesn't have to be a Christian therapist because sometimes right. you can't find a Christian therapist in your area that has the expertise that you need. And in that case, go with somebody who has the expertise to treat what it is you're dealing with. And what would you say to the listeners who have OCD or another serious anxiety disorder or mental illness issue like depression?
2: I would say that you are not alone. Understand and know that this is tough. It is, that is an understatement, this is extremely hard. And you have been dealt with something that, that you're struggling with for no fault of your own. It is not because you have done something wrong that you're struggling with a mental illness or depression. You haven't done anything wrong. At the same time, this weighs you down. And so I would say have compassion on yourself you wouldn't advise somebody, a dear friend who struggles with your struggle, you wouldn't advise them to end their life or to say that you are hopeless or you are a lost cause or you are a failure in life. You wouldn't mm-hmm. counsel somebody like that. So don't say that to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Have compassion. If you're having a down day, it is okay to have a down day. It is okay to not be okay. And at the same time, don't stay in that pit. Seek help. Make yourself vulnerable. Don't isolate yourself, especially for people who struggle with depression. It is so important. It is vital that you don't isolate yourself. Seek help. Pick up that phone and call a friend and, and be make yourself vulnerable. I, I'm not saying you have to make yourself vulnerable with everybody, but have one or two people in your life who can love on you, who can call on you and check in on you, especially if you're struggling with depression and if they haven't heard from you in days. Get out of bed, even though it might be extremely hard to do and you have to drag yourself out of bed. Get, get out of bed, take a shower, eat something that energizes you. Go out into the sunshine. Taking a walk, even if it is for 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, does a world of difference for me. It's a night-day difference for me. Call a friend. Again, don't be shy from taking medication. Medication is there as a valuable tool to help you. Medication can and does make a difference with the depression, and you will get better.
1: Well, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you for sharing the intimate details of your struggle with OCD and depression. I know it's going to bless people, so I really appreciate you coming on.
2: Thank you, Carla. Thank you for this opportunity.
1: So again, the website is mentalhealthstrong.com. So thank you very much for coming and thank you for listening to this. And I hope that you will check out the resources that are on their website and also mine on Change My Relationship. I have a brand new devotional coming out in de- on December 1st, 365 daily devotions for Christians in difficult relationships, which is certainly helpful for those family members or anyone who have a family member that's struggling with mental illness, I'm sure you would even enjoy reading it, Kate. It's all about healthy relationship stuff and how to just deal with the difficulties that we encounter in our relationships as Christians. So, all right, God bless. We will come back next week with a different guest. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcasts have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at Carla at ChangeMyRelationship.com For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcast, and YouTube videos, visit ChangeMyRelationship.com <music>